Why, O oh Lord, do you stand so far from me? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Don't turn your back on me when I need you so desperately. My eyes fail looking for you. Hey, how are you guys doing this weekend? That was a little weak. I'm just going to be honest with you. How are you guys doing this weekend? That's what I thought. Yeah, me too. Me too. Hey, I want to welcome those of you who are joining us, uh, maybe in the chapel or the warehouse or one of our other campuses. Maybe you're online with us. We're glad you are along. I am uh, Jeff Surrett. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Seacoast. And in December, we are doing a series we're calling Hidden God. And last weekend, Greg talked to us about um, times in our life when we just can't hear God, we can't see God. What, what do we do in those times? And we want to continue that series this week and, and, and talk about some things um, that apply to your life. I also want to talk talk to you a little bit about personally what's going on with Sherry and I uh, in our lives and kind of update you on that. If you uh, follow Seacoast on the city, the, the online communication tool, or if you follow Pastor Greg's Facebook tool, you know that this is a, a very unique uh, weekend for me. This is the last weekend that I will be speaking as a staff member at Seacoast Church. Um, I have, Sherry and I have accepted an, uh, a position out in California I'm going to go to work for Rick Warren at Saddleback Church. I'll tell you a little bit more about that. Um, but but uh, poignant weekend. I mean, we came here 14 years ago, uh, 14 and a half years ago. We moved here from Houston, Texas. And uh, when we came, our kids were six years old and 10 years old. And uh, we were uh, hired, I was hired to be the family ministry pastor. And Sherry came and led uh, Seacoast used to have a, uh, a daycare uh, for kids. And, and Sherry led that for a brief time. Uh, when we moved here, and it's just amazing how many things have changed and how much we've learned, what we've grown. I mean, my, my kids have grown up here. Um, this is home for them, and uh, Mike went through high school and went through college, and he got married right back here uh, in the chapel a few years ago, and then two months ago, the most beautiful uh, grandchild ever born to anyone was born here in Charleston for us, and my daughter was, uh, like I said, six when we came, and we watched her play soccer and basketball, and, and then about eighth grade, she picked up a guitar, and that became the focus, and here at Seacoast, it's been amazing. She started playing guitar in the little nitro trailer and barely knew how to hold the guitar and just developed through nitro and groundswell and playing here at the chapel and here in the worship center, and now she's at a school of worship down in Florida, and uh, the impact on our family of Charleston is, is just, it's hard, hard, hard to describe. This will always be home. Um, those of you who live here know this. there's no better place on earth to live than Charleston, South Carolina. I apologize to those of you in Columbia and Greenville and Asheville. <laughs> but let's be honest. If you, could, if you could live here, you would. Wouldn't you? I mean, seriously. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's been an amazing ride. Um, when I came, um, I didn't realize how green and raw I was. And the leadership team at the time took a chance and hired me as family ministry pastor. And one of the things that I was over early on was the children's ministry. And we used to do something called kids stuff. Do any of you remember when we used to do kids stuff? <laughs> kids stuff was kind of a cool event we do on Sunday nights once a month. And we would have uh, music and drama and a, and a little bit of word. And, and it, it uh, was combined for parents and kids. And we just had a lot of fun doing it. So on a Christmas Eve a few years ago, we decided to do a Kid Stuff Christmas Eve service at about three o'clock in the afternoon. And so we invited young children, their parents to come to that service. And so we did kind of kids music and we had kind of kids 
uh, uh, play, kind of a sketch going on. And one of the guys that helped us with that was really, really talented. And he came to me and he said, hey, I want to do this deal where I act out the entire Christmas story and I play all of the characters. And I thought it was a great idea. Now, I don't want to throw him under the bus because Ryan May is a good friend of mine, so I don't want to tell you who, who did this, but... Let's just say it went horribly, horribly wrong. Um, The performance was different than the practice. Let's just put it that way. And when he said he wanted to act out the entire Christmas story, he meant the entire Christmas story, including the birth of our Savior Jesus, complete with labor pains. Yeah. (laughs) Believe it or not, parents were not pleased that their children learned the facts of life at a Christmas Eve service at Seacoast. I was standing right back in the back next to Pastor Greg. And it was that point I realized that his head can turn all the way around on his body. I did not. (laughs) He said, who approved this? And being the man that I am, I said, I think Sherry did. I think I. I... (laughs) When we very first started this idea of one church in many locations, when I came, we were one church in one location. We met in half of this auditorium. We met over here and there was room for about 400, 450 people. And we had three, four services when I very first came. We were about the size of the West Campus. But then uh, the church grew. And back in 2002, we, we opened our first offsite campus just a quarter mile away in the Bell Hall Shopping Center, the Annex. Some of you remember the Annex. And then we opened, uh, or we had an opportunity to go 100 miles away up to Columbia. And up in Columbia, there was a church we had helped start. Uh, the pastor asked if we would come and do what we were doing at the Annex, if we would do that in Columbia. And so we said, sure, we'll give it a try. So the first service, we had a, a mailer we sent out and, and hundreds of people showed up. The, the place was packed. People were standing around the walls. The, the worship that day was awesome and uh, the band was amazing. And then we, we started the video message, which was on DVD at that time. And about two-thirds of the way through the message, um, the DVD froze. Now you have to understand my responsibility at that time was to oversee opening of these campuses. And part of that responsibility was overseeing the tech side. And we didn't have a staff, so I was the tech staff. So when the DVD froze, it was my responsibility. And I'm in the tech booth. I don't know what to do. I'm praying. I'm, I'm, I'm bowing down. I'm, I'm pushing buttons. I'm doing anything to get Greg to start talking on the screen again. And eventually he did. He started talking and I kind of relaxed. Okay, it's, it's all right. Everybody knows there's, you know, stuff like this happens. About three minutes later, Greg froze again. But this time his lips left his mouth and they were about five feet over to the right up on this ginormous screen, just quivering like jello, you know? And how many of you know that no matter how good the message is, when the pastor's lips leave his mouth, it's hard to get much out of the sermon. And so... It just stayed quivering. And finally, we had to shut it off. The campus pastor got up and apologized and people walked out and we had to find out what went wrong technically. And we examined the DVD and we found the problem right away. There was a thumbprint on the DVD. So we needed to know whose thumbprint that was. We had two choices. We could call the FBI. We could do a complete uh, check of our entire staff. Or I could admit I was the only one who had handled that DVD. That was my thumbprint. So what I'm saying to you is it is stunning that I have not been fired in the 14 years that I have been here. I have given opportunity over and over and over again. But it's been, it's been an amazing ride. I've learned more than I can imagine here. And you know, some people um, have said or kind of hinted, okay, what's the backstory? What's the inside scoop, you know? You're leaving now, you're leaving your brother, you're moving across country, 
We know Mac left a few months ago, moved to Atlanta. Here at the Long Point campus, we know that Martin Chalk is, is moving to Ireland. There's obviously something going on. What's going on? Here's the cool thing. Because I'm Greg's brother and I'm leaving and he can't fire me, I can tell you the real story, okay? That's the deal. Hey, you want to know the real story? I want to tell you the inside backstory of what's going on. There's no backstory. There's no intrigue. There's no bad thing going on at Seacoast. These are three individual stories. God called Mac to Atlanta to start the launch network. He's doing awesome. He was here two weeks ago with us. I had breakfast with him about three weeks ago. God is calling Martin and Sarah to Ireland to lead worship in, in Europe. There's, there's no animosity. In fact, we are t- uh, a tighter knit to them than we've ever been. Sherry and I love Seacoast and, and we love serving here. And Greg has told me he would love for us to stay here if that was God's will. So I want to assure everyone that there is, there, this is not a bad thing. This is a very positive thing. What is happening is God is moving Seacoast into the next chapter. And in any organization, any church that moves into the next chapter, there are some changes in leadership, positive changes in leaderships. You are going to be amazed at the level of leaders that are stepping in where Mac and where Martin and where myself have been. Uh, I, I already have know kind of what's going on behind the scenes, and it's, it's awesome. It's an amazing next chapter here at Seacoast. And God has been preparing Sherry and I for a next chapter in our own lives. In fact, a, a couple of years ago, I began feeling a stirring in my life that God kind of saying, Jeff, your chapter at Seacoast is ending and there's going to be something else. And so I went to Sherry and said, I, I just want to share with you what I'm feeling. Are you feeling that? She said, you know, I'm, I am. I'm kind of feeling the same thing. And we had no idea what that meant. We didn't no idea the timing or where or how it would happen, but we knew something was stirring. And so I invited Greg to breakfast a couple of years ago, about this time of year. And I I said, Greg, I just want to tell you what's going on in my life and the feelings I'm I'm having. And I tell you, Greg was amazing at that time. He said, here's the deal. First of all, I'd love for you to stay and do ministry together with me forever. Second of all, if God is moving you into a new chapter, I want to be a part of that. I I want to help you. I want to be a resource. I want to pray with you over that. And let me tell you, you guys don't know the church world, but that is very rare in the church world. In most church staffs, if you go to a pastor and you say, hey, I think that God is leading me in, in another direction, their answer is very, very often, you've got a week or two weeks to clear out your desk and it's time for you to go. That's just how it happens, but not at Seacoast. Greg holds the staff and the leadership here with open hands. And I think that's one of the keys of why you see campuses in 13 locations and tens of thousands of people coming every weekend is because God is blessing that open-handed feel toward leadership. And I, and I want to honor Greg and honor the leaders here in that. But after sharing that with Greg, I thought, okay, now this next chapter will happen. God will open up a door. We'll know what it is. We'll walk through. And sure enough, some doors opened. And each time we pursued those opportunities, I would talk to, to uh, trusted counselors. I would pray with Sherry, talk with Greg and some of the leaders here. And each time it became very obvious that there was a, that, th- that door closed that that wasn't where God was leading us. And, and it was kind of confusing. In fact, the last door that closed was about a year ago. And I really felt like God was moving us in that direction. And that door, when it closed, it's like, God, did, did I miss you? Did I, what, what is going on here? And I felt two very distinct things that God said at that point. First of all, I felt like he said, no, you didn't miss. Your chapter is closing. There is a new chapter coming at Seacoast. But number two, I'm not ready to tell you when, where, or how that's going to happen. 
And so you're going to go into a period of time where you're going to have to wait on me, where you're going to have to look for what is next, but you're going to have to be faithful in what is now. And you know what? I think for a lot of us, that's when growth happens. That's when we really connect to God is in that time. Because a lot of you have had that experience. In fact, you've had it in a, in a, in a much bigger way than I have. There's been a time that you thought God is promising something to you and then you expect that promise to be fulfilled and yet it isn't fulfilled. I was talking to someone between services this weekend and they said, yeah, I'm, I'm in that time now. I, I have left a business that was successful. I'm starting a new business that I know that God led me into, but we're in that very difficult time of, of transition and what does that look like? Maybe for you, there's been a promise you feel that God has said, you're gonna have a child in your family. And you don't, you, you, you don't know when that promise is going to be fulfilled. You don't know how it's going to be fulfilled. And you're, you're in that very hard, very difficult waiting time. Or, or maybe you're in a time where you thought there would be a healing. You feel like God has said there'll be some kind of healing in your family and it hasn't happened. Or maybe it's a relationship that's been strained and you felt like it would be restored and, 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 and it hasn't happened. Maybe you're in a job that you feel like God has said, well, there's another job. There's a better job. There's something more fulfilling out there. Or maybe you feel there's been a call to a mission or to a ministry, but you just don't see anything happening in that direction. You're in a a, a place that an author named Jeff Mannion calls the land between. Greg referred to this last weekend. And what I want to talk to you about is what do you do in the land between? When God seems hidden, you know there's a promise. You believe there'll be a fulfillment, but you don't know when or how. What do you do? Can I pray with you as we dive into this? Father, thank you. What a privilege to to speak this weekend and and a privilege to stand on this platform. Lord, I pray that you will just give me wisdom and Lord, that you'll speak through me and Lord, that I can get out of the way and that I can only share what you would have me share. And Lord, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we kind of dive into this, I want to look through the lens of a character in the Bible, a guy you've heard of probably, but maybe not spend a lot of time thinking about. His name is Simeon. We meet Simeon in the second chapter of Luke. In fact, if you have a Bible with you or if you have a smartphone and you want to open up to Luke chapter two, we're going to spend some time in there. And to set up where we are in the story, in the beginning of Luke chapter two, the baby Jesus is born in a manger. The angels come and they announce his birth to the shepherds. The shepherds come to the manger and they they worship Jesus there. And and now the shepherds have left and some time has passed. And Jesus is now somewhere around a month to six weeks old. And it's time for Joseph and Mary to take Jesus to the temple to offer a sacrifice according to Old Testament law. And let's read those verses. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now are you, you are letting your servant depart in peace 
according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, and you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And Jesus' father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and for a sword, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now, there are a couple of things we know about Simeon from these verses. First of all, we know that Simeon is a very devout, very righteous man who is seeking God in a very dark time. Greg told us last weekend that it's been 400 years since the end of the book of Malachi, since the last time that God has spoken to Israel through a prophet. 400 years of silence. And in that time comes Simeon, who is seeking um, with all of his heart to hear from a God that seems hidden. The second thing we know about Simeon is that he has received a word from God. He is somehow, the Holy Spirit has revealed to him that Simeon will not die until he meets the Messiah, the Savior who Israel is waiting for. Now, we don't know how he got that word. We don't know if it came in an audible voice. We don't know if it came in a dream or if it was just an inner voice that that he understood to be God. But he knew that God had made a promise to him. Now, what we don't know about Simeon is how long ago he got this promise. We don't know if it's been weeks or months I, I think it probably has been years the way that the verse is written since he first received this promise. Don't you imagine when Simeon first uh, uh, realized that he was going to see the Messiah, that he told his friends about it? He said, guys, you're not going to believe this. I'm praying last night and then the Holy Spirit just impresses on my heart. I am not going to die before I see the Messiah. And the guy's like, ah, that's cool. And so Simeon goes a week and no Messiah and a year and no Messiah and 10 years and no Messiah. And can't you imagine guys are just guys. I mean, they're just ribbing him, going, hey, dude, how's the Messiah thing working out for you? You seen a Messiah lately? You know, oh, oh, look, look, Simeon over there. I think that's a Messiah. Go, go. I mean, they're making fun of him. You imagine what it's like at home? You know, where are you going, Simeon? Oh, I got to go to the temple. I got to go see if the Messiah is there. You know, I don't know about the Messiah, but if you don't take out the trash, I'm sure you'll see God. You know, I mean, it... <laughs> Simeon's just dealing with the everyday stuff that you and I deal with. And yet he goes back to the temple day after day, seeing, is this, is this Messiah? Something else that I wonder about Simeon is if he really knew that this was how the Messiah would come. I mean, all he knew is that he would see the Messiah before he died, but did he imagine that Christ would be a little baby brought into the temple by a very, very poor peasant couple that all they could afford is a couple of birds as a sacrifice? I mean, don't you imagine Simeon saw a, full, a full-grown Messiah, a, a conquering king, not an innocent little infant, and how did Simeon feel when, when he held that little baby in his arms and the Holy Spirit spoke very clear, clearly to him? This is the fulfillment of the promise, Simeon. This is the Messiah. Did Simeon think, God, this, this, isn't, <laughs> this isn't what I had in mind? I mean, this isn't what I thought you were, you were going to do? And, you know, another thing I wonder about Simeon is if he thought that maybe he would be a lot more a part of the story of the Messiah than he wound up being. He's been waiting for years for the Christ to come. And then he says in his song here that now he's going to die. I mean, he sees this little baby and he's going to die before the baby even grows up. He's not going to see Jesus do any miracles. He's not going to hear his teaching. He's not going to see him die on the cross or raised from the dead. This is it for Simeon. He exits stage left and we don't hear another thing about, about him. This is very common throughout the Bible if you see how God, how God works. He very often will give a very clear call or a very clear promise. And then almost always there is a gap of weeks or months or 
very often years between the giving of the promise and the fulfillment of the promise. And then the promise, when it's fulfilled, and I apologize, I've got a sore throat trying not to cough on you. But when, it's, uh, 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 when the promise is fulfilled, it almost always looks differently than what the person who it was promised to thought that it would look like. And that's where God grows us, is in that in-between time, in that land between, when we're waiting for a promise and we don't know how it's going to be fulfilled and we don't know when it's going to happen. So what do we do in that time? What do we do while we're waiting in the land between? Well, let me give you four things that I kind of think Simeon did. (coughs) The first thing that Simeon did is he stayed faithful. He stayed faithful. He continued to worship God. He continued to go to the temple and day after day to, to worship God, to do what he knew he knew to do. There's, a, there's another story in the Old Testament of someone who received a promise and then it was years before the promise was fulfilled. You guys remember the story of Abraham. God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, dude, this is going to be cool. You are going to be the father of many nations. You are going to be, your children are going to be the children of promise. In fact, he says at one point, your your, uh, uh, offspring are going to be more than the sand of the seas. Abraham's like, that's awesome, God. Just one small drawback. I don't have any kids. God says, that's cool. It's okay. So Abraham waits five years. He waits 10 years. He has his 75th birthday. He has his 85th birthday. He has his 90th birthday party with no kids. And he's like, God, um, when's this party going to start? Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram says, that's cool, God. One small problem. Behold, you have given me no offspring. And the Lord brought him outside and said, look toward heaven And number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. That phrase is repeated three times in the New Testament. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was faithful. He didn't see the promise fulfilled in his life, but he was faithful to God. And that's what you do when you're waiting. Be faithful. Continue to worship. You really learn about worship in these times when you're waiting, when you're looking for a, for a promise to be fulfilled. Over the last couple of years, as, as I've been kind of confused about, God, what are you saying and, and, and what do you want me to do? But as I've worshiped, worshiped him, not for what he's doing or not for a fulfilled promise, but just because he's God, it's been some of the sweetest times of worship. So let me encourage you, if, if you're in that land between, stay faithful to, 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 to God, to worship and to who God called you to be. The second thing that Simeon did is he stayed focused. We stay faithful, we stay focused. Another guy in the Old Testament who received a promise, but then had a long waiting period before it was fulfilled is, is David. When David was a young man, the prophet Samuel came to him and anointed him king of Israel. The only problem was is Israel already had a king. The king was Saul. And David couldn't see that promise fulfilled until Saul died. So David had two choices. He could wait and stay faithful to what God had called him to, stay focused on what was right, or he could kill Saul. And if either way, he would wind up king. Well, an amazing thing happens. Saul begins to chase David. He wants to kill David. And uh, as he's chasing David one night, Saul's whole army goes to sleep, including his night watchmen and his personal guards. And he's camped right next to where David is. David takes the leader, his right-hand guy in his army, and they sneak into Saul's camp and they go and they stand right next to where Saul's asleep on the ground. 
Everyone around him is asleep. And it's obvious that this is David's chance to act. This is when he can become king. And listen to what his right-hand guy says. It says, uh, Then said Abishai to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. That is one fierce guy. You understand what he's saying? I won't illustrate, but you get it. But look at what David said. David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? You see, David said, no, that's not how God works. David knew that God never violates his principles in order to fulfill his promises. God never asks you to, 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 to uh, make shortcuts. If you are thinking about something that's going to violate God's word, or is going to hurt other people, or is going to leave people in your dust because you believe there's somewhere that God wants you to go or something God wants you to do, then you are out of God's will. You're not staying focused on what God called, called, called you to do. You know, as I've been here at Seacoast and I've been uh, waiting for what is next and trying to understand what God is saying, I've, I've tried to stay focused on what is in front of me right now and try to be faithful to what God has called me to do here. And because of that, over the last year, I've been able to be involved in some really cool things that aren't going to come to fruition until the next chapter at Seacoast. And I won't be a part of seeing them come to fruition. And I'll have to read about them from the other side of the country. I mean, one of the things that we've been working on that that I've been so excited about is missional communities. And you guys are beginning to hear about that and beginning to understand what that means. But next year, you're going to see some things happening through missional communities. You guys are going to lead missional communities that are going to literally transform our cities for Christ in ways that you can't even imagine. And I've been able to focus on helping that, knowing that I probably wouldn't see the fruition of it. Another thing that I've been able to help work on from behind the scenes that I'm so excited about, you're going to start hearing in 2011 about Seacoast School of Worship. And what's going to happen is they're going to begin training in January young worshipers, young guitar players and drummers and singers and keyboard players and teaching them not just their instrument, but how to use their instrument in worship. I mean, little crumb crunchers and junior hires and high schoolers and adults. And then in the fall, they're going to begin bringing in people from around the country as residents to come here and to experience what God does through the worship at Seacoast. And you guys are going to see an influence at Seacoast that's beyond what you could ask or imagine in all of the campuses and in this church as not only are our campuses going to be blessed by the school of worship, but other churches around the country are going to be blessed. I am so excited about that. And I've been able to be a part of helping work on that, knowing that it's going to happen after I'm gone. If you feel like there's something next in your life, don't become a short timer. Don't step back from what God has called you right now, right here to do. Stay focused in your job, in your family, in your ministry, and and be faithful while you're there. The next thing that we do while we're in the land between is to stay alert, to stay alert. Keep your eyes open because you never know how God is going to answer the promise. See, Simeon had to be alert to realize that this little baby was the Messiah. He had to be listening to the Holy Spirit or he would have missed it entirely. We never know how God will fulfill his promise. Every service that we end here at Seacoast, we end with the same benediction, don't we? And in that benediction, it says that God is able to do exceedingly beyond what we could what? I'll try it one more time. Beyond what? Beyond what we could? 
ask or imagine. What does that mean? It means that when God fulfills his promise, it's not going to look anything like what you ask or imagine. It's going to be unbelievably different and wider scope than what you asked or imagined. I see that in my own life. I had no idea what the next chapter would be like. I had no idea that I would be moving to California to work with Rick Warren. Rick has this, this crazy vision. He wants to plant churches in, a, in the 100 most influential cities in the world. And by the end of the decade, he wants to be planting 100 churches a year just out of Saddleback. And for some reason, he, he wants me to lead, lead that. That's kind of funny, isn't it? Because you guys know me. I'm a goofball, right? <laughs> yeah, we got that. We understand. And about three or four weeks ago, I was praying about, oh gosh, is this God? Is this what you're calling me to do? And I felt a real clear word. And the word was, uh, well, let me back up. As, as I'm praying, I just thought, I can't do this. I cannot do this job. This is way over my head, way over my pay grade. I can't do this. And I got a very clear word. And God, God was saying to me, I'm not asking whether you can do this. That's not the question. The question is, do I want you to do this? If I want you to do this, everything else is details. As you are listening to God, as you're staying alert for the answer to the promise, don't be asking, can I? Be asking God, do you want me to? There's a verse in 2 Corinthians that Paul says, God, it is God that is making us competent to minister. As long as it's on, based on your competency, it's very limited how God can fulfill his promise. But when you realize it is God's responsibility to fulfill his promise, and it's God's responsibility to give you the competency to fulfill that promise, it's very freeing. So say, stay alert to how God wants to fulfill the promise. And then the fourth thing we do in the land of in between is we stay positive. We stay positive. You see, the biggest danger in the land between is bitterness. Satan will bring bitterness in your life. And here's how he'll do it. He'll do it as he gets you to begin to look around. As you begin to look at other people and say, oh, he got, he, he got a, a new job. She, she has a baby. They, they got a healing that they prayed for. His house sold. Why are all these good things happening around me? And God, I'm not hearing anything from you. And this root of bitterness will come in your life. And it will choke out the promise that God wants to fulfill. And the way you, you, you battle bitterness is you keep your eyes on Jesus and not on other people and you focus on staying positive. If you are in the land between, Philippians chapter 4 is required reading. You need to read it every week, every day if you're battling with bitterness. Just a portion of it says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, focus on Jesus. Don't focus on your circumstances. Don't focus on what's happening in other people's lives. Focus on God and rejoice in what he's doing. I want to leave you with just three things I know about you. When you're in the land between, there's three things I know. First thing I know is God knows your name. He knows your name. Sometimes it feels like we don't hear anything from God. It seems like our prayers are just empty talking. And we wonder, is, does God even pay attention? I mean, there's, there's six billion people on earth. How could God care about me? He knows your name. 
Are any of you old enough to remember the series Cheers? Anybody remember that series? Yeah. Do you remember a character on, Sir, on, on, on Cheers named Norm? Yeah. Every time Norm walked into the bar, what did Norm hear? That's right. Every time he walked in, Norm. I have this weird image that when I walk into heaven, when I swing through the pearly gates, I can just see the angels and Jesus standing up and going, Jeff. I mean, isn't that cool? And it's biblical. He knows your name. He counts the hair on your head. He knows everything that you do. So, so I just want you to know, in the, in, in the land between, when God seems hidden, He knows your name. The second thing that I know about you is that you matter to God. You matter to God. You say, how can I matter? I'm just one person. The Bible says that you matter so much to God that he sent his own son into a hostile world to die on a cross for you because you matter that much to him. If I matter so much to him, how can he ex- allow me to experience the pain that I experience in life? And I know as a father, when I saw my children in pain, there were times that I would love to have relieved the pain, but they didn't understand why the pain was happening. My granddaughter had to go this Friday for, or this past week for her two-month checkup. And you know what happens at the two-month checkup? Shots. Yeah. And you can just imagine how her mom and dad felt as they stood there and the doctor came and put a needle in this little girl and she cried and screamed and couldn't understand how could my father let me experience such pain. And my son couldn't possibly explain to a two-month-old why that was the best for her. And that's how your father feels. He wishes that you had the eternalist perspective that he has. He wishes that you could stand back and see the whole picture. He wishes that you could see that this life on earth is just one seventieth or one seventieth of a million years that you have ahead of you. But you can't understand that. And so his heart breaks with your heart. You matter to God. And the third thing that I know about you is God has a purpose for your life. You're not just taking up space. You're not just here to live and to die and to move on. But God has a specific purpose for your life. One of the verses that we've read over and over and over again at Seacoast, I want to read to you one more time. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Nothing that you've done in your past and nothing that you'll do in your future changes the fact that God knows your name. You matter to him. And he has a purpose for your life. It's been an amazing 14 years. Speaking to you guys is one of the great privileges of my life. And and when I say I'm honored by that, I, I can't express how honored I am. What Sherry and I are going on to, I don't feel, is any greater than what we were called to do here. In fact, I think it's a part of what we were called to do here. Several years ago, Greg stood on this stage and he said that God had given him a vision that out of Seacoast we would plant 2,000 churches. Well, I got news for you, gang. That's impossible. Can't be done. But then they started the Association of Related Churches and it has planted almost 200 churches. They're going to plant another 60 this year. 
And then God said, I don't think one church planting network is going to plant 2,000 churches. And so he took Mac Lake to Atlanta to start the launch network. Who is going to begin planting churches? And then God said, but that's not quite the whole picture. I'm going to take Jeff and Sherry to Saddleback and put the resources of Saddleback behind planting churches. And I believe that by the time Greg goes to see Jesus, that out of Seacoast Church, over 2,000 churches will have been planted. And it's just awesome to have been a part of this story. I want to leave you with the last scripture. This is a scripture that's my life verse, and I want you to take it to heart. It's Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10, Paul says this, you are God's workmanship. Do you know what that means, God's workmanship? That's God's piece of art. That's God's piece de resistance. When God finished with you, he stepped back and he went, okay, that's good. That's good. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. When you bring your life to Christ, when you become the person who God created you to be, which is someone submitted to the Lordship of Jesus, you're this workmanship powered by the power of Jesus Christ. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, God knows your name. You matter to God. And he has an amazing purpose and future for you. Don't lose hope in the land between. Can I pray for you guys one more time? Jesus, thank you um, for the amazing, amazing privilege of being a part of the Seacoast story, which is a part of the God story. Lord, I thank you for all that you've done. And I thank you specifically for the people whose lives have touched my life and touched Sherry's life. Lord, for just the way you have ministered to our family through this church. Lord, I thank you for it. Lord, I pray today for those who are struggling. Lord, there are many here who have been in a land between for, for quite some time. Lord, I pray that today they will hear your voice. Lord, that they will feel your Holy Spirit inside saying, I love you, I know you, I care for you, and I still have a purpose for you. Lord, I pray more than anything that those who are disconnected from Jesus, that will connect, they will connect today, that they will find out what it means to be complete in you. And Lord, for those who are struggling to find what's next in their life, Lord, that they'll experience the peace that passes understanding. And Lord, I just give um, this day and this congregation to you. In Jesus' name, amen.